Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. For a lot of people, you hear the word church and those are the images that are conjured up. People kind of associate church with the idea of something that is dry, lifeless, irrelevant, cold, impersonal, and even maybe a little confusing. Not sure when you're supposed to stand up, when you're supposed to sit down. People singing songs that nobody knows, using words that nobody uses, watching rituals that nobody understands. I want to read to you something a little bit different. Acts chapter 2. Speaking of these new believers in this new church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the church. That's the church at its very, very best. Vibrant, life-giving, growing, caring, compassionate. That's the church. The church at its best. And I remember some 17 years ago now, reading that passage in a way that I had never read it before, and I'd read that story so many times, and dreaming of a day there would be a church like that. To be able to pastor a church like that. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if, if there was such a church in 21st century America that was vibrant and lively and compassionate and caring and community? What would that church look like? What would it look like? What would it look like if the church today could rediscover church as it was meant to be? I want to share some thoughts with you this morning. Just using the example of that early church, and I actually had someone, uh, I guess in this morning's uh, comic section, I don't know if how many of you read Bizarro, but uh, someone gave this to me this morning. It was in this morning's paper. Uh, the picture is a, a church and it's surrounded by police with drawn guns, and the usher is out there at the door, and he's saying, sorry, officers, false alarm. It's not a hostage situation. It's just an extremely long church sermon. I will not do that this morning. <laughs> but I do want us to take a look at what the church is like when the church is at its best. What would it look like? Because see, the church at its best, when the church is at its best, people are developing in their faith. One of the qualities of that first church was their appetite for learning. They wanted to grow. It said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They had a voracious appetite for learning. They had discovered a brand new life and they couldn't get enough of it. It wasn't just a casual disregard or an indifference or, well, if I'm not doing anything else on Sunday morning, maybe I'll show up. They couldn't get enough. Their lives had been transformed. Something had changed them and they couldn't get enough. They were constantly looking to grow and develop and mature more and more. They wanted to understand what this new life was all about. From time to time, I, I meet people and 
Um, you know, I don't wear the backwards collar thing. So people are kind of sometimes surprised to find out that I'm a pastor. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. But, uh, you know, sometimes when people find out I'm a pastor, you know, I usually get all kinds of different religious, you know, responses. And, and they vary from time to time. But usually one of the ones I get quite a bit often is from people who say, well, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm just not religious. And that's why I don't go to church. And I've, I've, sometimes I've actually even said it. If, if, if the timing is right and the, and the person's heart is right, I just say, you know, that's interesting. Because I'm a spiritual person too. And, and I try not to get too hung up on religion. But I just have a question for you. Being a spiritual person, what do you do to nurture your spirit? What do you do to nurture this spiritual life that you say you have? Do you take any time at all to nurture your soul? Because a lot of times people say, I'm spiritual, which means I want a nice feeling every once in a while. But they do nothing to nurture their soul. And one of the qualities, the chief quality of the early church was they couldn't get enough. They were hungry to learn more and more. And these were not biblical scholars, folks. They were beginners. In fact, the sentence, very, the sentence just before says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The church went from 120 people to 3,000 plus in one day. That was like having 3,000 kindergartners on your hands. I mean, think, talk about classroom overcrowding. <laughs> 3,000 brand new believers. But they wanted to know more. They had a hunger for learning. And it wasn't just gaining information. They were constantly looking for ways. How do I put that truth into my life? How do I put it into practice? How do I live that out every day? And those of you, we got a lot of teachers in our midst. And, and those of you who are teachers, you know the difference. You know the difference between a student who's just putting in their time and just trying to get through the class and they get to see they're happy. Thank you very much. Between that kind of a student and the one who really wants to learn. You know it. They just, they hunger. They want to know more. And one of the things that was a quality of the early church was their hunger to develop and grow in their faith. And if the church is at its best, and when the church is at its best, people are constantly growing and developing in their faith. They weren't perfect, but they were always wanting to know more. That's the church at its best. Second quality of the early church was their devotion to each other. When the church is at its best, people are deepening in their relationships. It says they devoted themselves not just to the apostles' teaching, but to fellowship as well. The word there is koinonia. It's the Greek word. And it has to do with what is having, holding things in common. And, and fellowship is one of those words that's just kind of misunderstood. And we kind of associated it with coffee and cookies after church. But it is far deeper than that. It has to do with the, the connection of relationship and community in which they do life together. They engage in life together. This past month, the 300 millionth American was born. I don't know if you saw that in the paper. And it made me kind of think as I was, I was kind of thinking about that this week. The 300th million American was born. And I wonder, what does that child look like? What kind of family will he or she grow up in? Single parent? Or a large, loving family? What will life be like for that 300 millionth American growing up? Will they be the kid that gets teased in school? Or will they be the one that everybody loves? And as they grow and they experience life and go through some of life's difficulties, who will they call on? Who will be there for them? 
Who will they be able to reach out to? Because you see, as our nation gets bigger and bigger population-wise, one of the things that we are finding is people have fewer and fewer connections. June of this year, an article in the Chronicle about a survey that was done by the, uh, sponsored by the National Science Foundation. And they found that a quarter of, of Americans say they have no one, no one with whom they can discuss personal troubles. The headline is, for many, the ties that bind are falling away. More of us say we have fewer friends that we can confide in. In fact, the article goes on and says, they may have 600 friends at Facebook.com. They may email 25 people every day. But they are not discussing matters that are personally important. Gallup poll back in 1997 found that four in ten, four in ten Americans expressed that they have frequent feelings of intense loneliness. Not just casual from time to time. Frequently, four in ten Americans frequently have feelings of intense loneliness. That's not right. That's not right. And God designed His church for a caring community in which we would have those kinds of relationships in our life. Where we would have people that we could do life together with. And one of the ways that we do that around here is in small groups. It was the pattern of the early church. It says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They met together in large group settings and in small group settings. It went formal settings and informal settings. They did life together. And when the church is at its best, that's what happens. And it says they enjoyed life together with glad and sincere hearts. That word sincere is a very interesting word. In Latin, literally it means without wax. And it has to do with marble statuary that was made in, in Roman times. And um, when there were flaws in the marble, or, or if the, if the uh, sculptor made a few mistakes or whatnot, what they would do is they could melt wax and mix in some marble dust into the wax and seal up the flaws and the holes that were in the marble so that somebody buying it wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And if it was done real well, you couldn't tell there were any problems with that marble. And when you bought a piece of statuary that was sincere, it was the real thing. No wax, no filler. You see, in community, we're able to let down our guard. We're able to take off the masks. Enjoy relationships with each other. Small groups is one of the key ways that the early church did it. It's one of the key ways that we do it here. I'm a part of a small group. We get together every Tuesday night. And in that group, we do life together. And in our small group over this last year, we have had people go through some intensely difficult times. And people struggle with, with, with huge emotional burdens. And what I love is the members of the group call each other and check up on each other and help each other. And I... I, I I can't describe what my small group means to me, folks. And if you're not a part of a small group, if you're a longtime Northgate member and attender here, and you've never been part of a small group, get plugged in. It's where life happens. You can't do that with three, four, five, six hundred people on a Sunday morning. You can only do that in a smaller group setting of, of 10 to 12 to 14. And it's what the early church discovered. Yes, there was need for great celebration and big gatherings, but there was also need 
for the day, the weekly, just getting together. And if you're interested in that, we have something coming up called in a couple of weeks called the Taste of Community. There's an insert in your bulletin about it. And you've never been a part of a small group. Let me encourage you to fill this form out, put it in one of those offering boxes, and we'll get you connected up. Now, it's going to take time. It took a while for our small group to start to come together in that way. But you keep working at it. And you discover relationships that will last you to eternity. And when the church is at its best, that's what's happening. When the church is at its best, people are also demonstrating love. Third quality of that early church was its generosity. We're told all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those who were in need. Now, if that is not a sure sign of life transformation, I don't know what is. Because human nature is tending towards self-interest. We are by nature selfish. I mean, just think, a young kid, okay? But the third word a baby learns after mama and papa, it's mine. (laughs) And they say it with gusto, mine! You don't have to teach a child to hoard. (laughs) You have to teach them to share. Because that is our natural tendency towards self-interest. And the thing about the early church is they truly believed Jesus' words. They truly believed Him when He said, life is not found in the abundance of man's possessions. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. It is possible to gain the whole world and to lose your soul in the process. Freely you've received. Freely give. And that wasn't just a teaching. It was how they lived. There was a sense that this is not my stuff. It's God's stuff. And however He could use it to make a difference in this world, however He could use it to relieve suffering for somebody else, however He could use it to help someone who is in need, it's His. And I give it freely. And that is permeated throughout the whole book of Acts. The story, the ongoing story of the church is its generosity and its willingness to share with everyone. And it wasn't just possessions. They shared of their time, of their resources, of their assets, of their talents, of their gifts and abilities. The Bible puts it this way. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. They shared everything they had. That's the church at its best. It is hearts of servanthood. Instead of waiting to be asked, it's a willingness to be able to say, how can I help you? What do you need? What could I do for you? And when the church is at its best, there is that tangible demonstration of love. John wrote this, let us not merely say that we love each other, let us show it, by the truth of our actions. Something that we are learning around here and giving more and more of our energies to. Our young adult group, S.O. Karras, is is starting to connect up with Christian Help Center and some other agencies in the Vallejo Benicia area where we are tangibly getting involved in helping people who are needy. Not just serving them food, but getting to know them. One of the things we do, in fact, it's next Sunday, is our Benevolence Weekend, Benevolence Sunday. And I would encourage you, when you do your shopping this week, to buy an extra item or two of a non-perishable good that you can bring and we can distribute. And if you can't do that, then the Rayleigh's and Safeways, you can buy a, a, a gift card. 
And we give those out all the time. Or a cash donation. But somehow reaching out and helping those who are in need. When the church is at its best, that's what we do. And lastly, when the church is at its best, people are discovering grace. The early church impacted its community. We're told that all the while they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Even the people that weren't a part of the fellowship. Even the people that didn't buy into their theology or join them in worship gatherings. It says that they, they, they looked at this group of people and they said, there's something different there. There's something different. They had to admire the relationships that were being built and the generosity that was shared and the way that they served each other. Because these people weren't just talking about love, they were living it. And when they did, people took up and notice. They were not perfect people, not by a long shot. You read through the, the account of the books of Acts, they had all kinds of problems. You read through the New Testament, there's all kinds, most of the letters of the New Testament are letters written to churches correcting things that are going wrong. They were everyday people just like you and me. But what permeated the fellowship was the spirit of grace. And there was something irresistible about grace. There's something about grace that just, man, it's like a magnet. It's like a magnet. And so it says that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every day people were attracted to this group of people. Every day people were making life-changing decisions. Every day people were being saved. Now that's another one of those words that kind of over the years has kind of got a lot of negative connotations. Because you hear the word saved and you think of some Bible-thumping, hellfire and brimstone preacher. But that's not what saved is. Saved is the language of grace. Saved speaks of rescue and of freedom and forgiveness and love. Saved speaks of protection and, and preserving and restoring. It's a word of grace and it's something that we all need. Every one of us. There's something irresistible about the power of grace. It's something that every one of us needs. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were at a dinner party and a bunch of friends um, just sitting around the table and talking and, and, and one of the people there had, was one that's been kind of recently started coming to Northgate. And, and so I just, you know, as we were having conversation, I just kind of turned over to her and I said, by the way, I've noticed, I've seen you around a little bit and I've seen you kind of helping out with the kids a little bit. I'm just curious, what's your church background? And she started to share about how growing up she was raised in a Methodist church and her parents weren't all that involved, but they took her to Sunday school and she went, you know, for a while. And then as she got older, she kind of drifted away and she hadn't been to church in years. And now her mom has actually gotten very, very involved in her church and has wished that she had had more influence on her kids and brought them up in the ways of the Lord. And so she said, you know, this is kind of a coming back for me. I said, well, that's cool. And then someone else at the table said, okay, so who's next? <laughs> and so we went around the table and everybody just kind of shared their story. One came from absolutely no church background whatsoever. I think I've been to your church once or twice. <laughs> that's it? Never? Not Christmas, Easter? No, no, never. Never really involved in church. Went around the table. Uh, one guy sitting at the table, he had tried about just about every religion there is. <laughs> Been through them all. He even tried atheism, agnosticism. He tried everything. And they came around and it was my turn. They said, so? <laughs> what about you? 
I said, you know, I was practically born and raised in church. I was brought to church gatherings before I knew what church was. I mean, I, went, I was in the nursery. I was on the cradle roll. I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up learning memory verses, and, and, and I, I was really good. I was like the best in my class at looking up verses when, people called, when the teacher called out a verse that needed to be looked up. I had all the gold stars on the chart, you know, and I had chart after chart after chart with gold stars on the chart. I had the, you know, I had the, the perfect attendance award, you know, the ribbons that go all the way down here. I had it all. I said, for most of my life, my early Christian life, it was all about performance what it was if I got enough gold stars on the chart if I memorized enough Bible verses if I got better than everybody else at looking up the scriptures when we had a scripture hunt then somehow I was proving I was a good Christian and God's got to take notice of that and then I said when I was in high school college just right in that time I discovered grace. And it turned my life around. Because it wasn't about performance. It wasn't about what I was doing. Simply because of God's love. And I want you to know this morning, God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And there is nothing that you can do that will make Him love you any more than He already does. And there is nothing that you can do that will make Him love you any less than He already does. Because His love and His mercy and His grace is unending. He loves you just because He loves you. And Jesus Christ came, God become a man, and lived a human life on this earth, going through all the stuff that we go through, in every way, the Bible says, just like us. Yet he didn't sin. And he paid a price on a cross so that I would be forgiven from my religion, so that I would be freed from my performance, so that I would have the life that he intended me to live. And that same truth for you and the reason that we celebrate the way that we do around here is because we firmly believe in the transformational power of God's grace it says the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all would you bow your heads with me It has been the dream and the hope and the prayers of the leadership team of this church that we would be that church. A place where people are growing and developing in their faith. A place where people are deepening their relationships and demonstrating love to one another and to their community. And more than anything else, this would be a place where people discover grace. Lived out, acted out, freely dispensed. If you're here this morning, and there's something inside of you that just beats, saying, oh, 
I would love to be a part of something like that. Oh, you don't know how much that would mean to me. I want you to know this morning it can be yours in a very simple prayer. Saying, Lord, I need your grace. Kind of made a mess of things. Life hasn't worked out exactly like I planned. I can't fix it by myself. I need your forgiveness. I need your life transforming grace at work in me. If that's your prayer this morning, I want to pray with you and for you as we close. Nobody else is looking around. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come walk down up front. I'm just going to ask you if you would look up and catch my eye. Keep looking until I see you because I want to acknowledge you and pray with you and for you this morning. Is there anyone that says, yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. your grace it's amazing transforms lives gives hope restores brokenness it is our only hope and we are so grateful that you have given it to us so freely my prayer for those who have just acknowledged this morning their desire for that work in their own lives that in this simple prayer, Lord, forgive me my past. Make me right with you. Fill me with your grace. Transform my life. In that simple prayer, they would know you have heard them. And you've done exactly what they've asked you to do. And may this day be a life-changing day by the power of your grace each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.